Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello and welcome to episode 305 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thanks for joining me today for today's story, which reverts back to one of our most common themes on the podcast, perception versus reality. And those people on social media who you think are just having the best life. What is the truth of that situation? As always, let me begin by thanking all my supporters at Patreon but especially the new members of this community. That is Bridget Harvey, Zoe and Anne Mann. And to Jo N for increasing her support level. Thank you all so much for your support, which is much, much appreciated. And the current competition for Patreon supporters is to win the new Case File board game. If you want to win a copy of this game, and why wouldn't you, join us at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. This week's episode is brought to you by Heights. I started to take the Smart Supplement from Heights every day relatively recently. Why? Well, it quite simply just makes me feel better every single day, which is a great reason, right? This supplement contains 20 high-quality vitamins, minerals and antioxidants to help take care of your whole body. This supports your brain, nervous system and immune system, so you have better energy, mood, focus and sleep. It works for me, so maybe it's time that you experienced more energy every day and a sharper focus, helping you to concentrate better and for longer. It's time to deliver whole body health by taking care of your brain. Tackle brain fog, energy and sleep issues with Height Smart Supplement. Just two clean capsules a day, with or without food. Everything that you need to feel better every day. To help you get started with brain care, Heights is giving all of my listeners an extra 15% off your first quarterly subscription order with the code TRUECRIME. Just go to yourheights.com and use the code TRUECRIME at checkout to get your exclusive discount. And start taking care of your brain and body today. Okay, so let's set some context for today's story with our guest of the month and year game. Number two in the UK charts was Adele with Chasing Pavements and Alicia Keys with No One was at number two in the US charts. In Australia, the top song was Leona Lewis with Bleeding Love. I think that's the right way to pronounce it. In the news this month, Breaking Bad was first seen on our screens. I wonder if you're a fan. It was Black Monday in worldwide stock markets, with the FTSE 100 having its biggest ever one-day points fall, and European stocks closing with their worst results since 9-11. Talking of finance, I'm sure like me, you are excited that the new Chancellor apparently wants to scrap the bonus caps for city traders. How could anyone begrudge them higher bonuses? It's hard to believe, isn't it? 
Oh dear, all the things. Anyway, this month saw actor Heath Ledger die of just 28. Jeremy Beadle died of pneumonia at just 59. And climbing legend Edmund Hillary died at 88. And finally, in UK true crime news, four men were jailed for 15 years each for their part in the 2006 Securitas raid. Did you guess the month and year? It was January 2008. 48-year-old Diane Chenery Wickens lived with her 51-year-old husband in Duddleswell near Uckfield. If you don't know the area, it's a pretty East Sussex village, which is just over 20 miles northeast of Brighton. On Thursday the 24th of January 2008, the couple had travelled together to London, where Diane was due to meet her bosses at the BBC. Diane had done a lot of work for the corporation over the previous 20 years on hair and makeup design on some of their top shows, including The League of Gentlemen, Casualty, Pride and Prejudice and Dead Ringers. She'd won an Emmy Award in 2000 for Arabian Nights and was nominated for a BAFTA in 2003 for her work on Dead Ringers. And when we joined the story in 2008, she was at the very top of her game. But that evening, Diane didn't arrive at the hairdressers to meet her husband, as arranged. This was totally out of character. Diane was known for her reliability. So David turned up at a West London police station to report his wife was missing. He told Met Police officers he'd last seen his wife that day at Kensington Olympia Tube Station in West London, where she'd left him to go to her meeting. He told officers she was wearing a brown suede jacket, brown calf-length boots, blue jeans and a black scarf. He said he had tried calling her on his mobile phone, but on each occasion there was no answer and the call went straight through to voicemail. He'd phoned some of his wife's friends and colleagues before calling the police and then he returned home alone, desperately waiting for his phone to ring with a simple explanation from Diane of what had happened. But no call came. David called his brother-in-law on the way home and asked him to pick him up from East Grinsford Railway Station as his wife had the car keys. He told him he'd reported her missing so quickly as he was immediately concerned as she was carrying over a thousand pounds in cash to deposit at a bank. Over the coming days, the police appealed to the public for any sightings of Diane, and TV impressionist John Colshop, who worked with Diane on Dead Ringers, told how he was hoping for a sensible explanation. He said, We know her really, really well. She's been our makeup artist on our show for about five years. We spend a lot of time together. And she's a really, really lovely woman, very well organised. It's just really out of character, which makes it all the concerning and bewildering. You just have to hope that somewhere there is one of those sensible explanations to this. Her brother added that her parents were frantic with worry and he urged her to make contact saying, we can solve anything. In a statement, he said, Diane's husband, her family and friends are all extremely worried. Her disappearance is uncharacteristic behaviour and causing us great concern. We urge her to get in touch just to let us know that she is safe. Just what had happened to her? Had it been a robbery as David feared? 
Had she maybe got a secret life of some description? Maybe she was having an affair and she decided to leave her husband for this person? Or maybe she'd somehow been abducted and harmed by a stranger or someone she trusted to go with. As the general public tried to work out what had happened to Diane, what they didn't know was that detectives already had a prime suspect in her disappearance. And that was her husband, David. They'd looked immediately at the CCTV of the train journey taken by the couple to London and they quickly realised that Diane had never taken the 1107 train from Sussex with her husband. David had travelled alone. So why had David lied to them? When confronted with this evidence, David changed his story. He said that the couple had actually gone their separate ways at the railway station, as Diane was too ashamed to face up to her money troubles and their failed marriage. So instead of this, she was leaving England to start again in Spain. He said that he had promised solemnly to say nothing of this to anybody, as Diane had told him that she had planned to go missing and then make contact with her family and him to say that she was safe and well a few days later. He added, I thought she was going abroad because she spoke of Spain. He told how the couple had discussed her plan on the 22nd of January, two days before she was reported missing. When asked what the catalyst for this was, David said, What was bothering her was their financial situation and the fact that she was having difficulty finding work. He also admitted that he'd been having an affair, which had got serious, and Diane knew all about it. She didn't like the idea because she realised that it blossomed into a true and proper relationship. But he was adamant that Diane would never have left permanently. But detectives were really perturbed. Why had David lied in the first place about the trip to London? Why lie? The fact that he had done so, and so readily, was hugely significant to those working on the case. And as more and more information came to light, the suspicion on David grew. It was found on the very evening he reported Diane missing, he made sexually explicit calls, and text messages to several people. He left a very personal and, let's say, intimate message on a former girlfriend's phone, and he also called a gay chat line and arranged for a man to come to his house for sex. When the man arrived at the house, he chose not to have sex with David, as he wasn't particularly attracted by the sight of David in his white toweling robe. If you Google him, I think you might understand why. But even with the understanding that different people react in sometimes unusual ways to highly stressful situations, this behaviour was very unusual and concerning and certainly not the sort of behaviour that suggested that he was desperately worried by his missing wife. And detectives increasingly believed this was because he knew she was never coming home because he had already killed her. The police looked more into the couple's background. David had worked for his dad's haulage business when he left school, but his real interest was spiritualism, an interest that he shared with his mum and sister. And David had always known he had this side to his personality, even when growing up in South London, when sometimes he would hear strange footsteps during the night or voices whispering to him. 
The next bit I'm assured is true, but see what you think. See if it's a good business idea. He set up a painting and decorating company where he helped his customers find their colour schemes using his psychic powers. Hmm, not overly sure about that, are you? But this side of his life continued to grow in importance to him and he then developed a business involving tarot card readings, delivering exorcisms and holding services in spiritual churches. Then in 2002, he was certified as a spiritualist minister. And David and Diane got together through his spiritualism. They'd met after they were introduced through a mutual friend when Diane was working on the BBC sitcom The British Empire. Remember that? She asked him to tell her fortune for tarot reading and things moved on from there. Diane asked to join his healing circle and the pair became friends before they became a couple and married in 1997. From here, according to David, they lived in a flat in Battersea in South London where the first year was absolute bliss. But he then claimed that Diane had an affair in 1998 when away with work and this led to him having a number of affairs with other women. From here he said the marriage was effectively over with both sleeping in separate bedrooms. He said, my marriage was over. To the outside world, you think we had the perfect relationship. David was asked by detectives more about his spiritual work and he explained what this meant in practice and that in his church, they believed that nobody should take their own life or kill anyone else or even hurt any other person by words, deeds or actions. When asked if this guidance could be applied to affairs, David replied, if it was a true loving marriage, then I would say that's correct. But when it's not, then I would say no. Like us, detectives are not in the business of judging other people. As long as no one gets hurt, people can do just what they want. But in this case, detectives believe that Diane had been killed by her husband and he was charged with her murder. And it was five months later on the 15th of May that Diane's body was found. A few miles away from the family home in Little Horsted, a dog walker, who else, noticed a strong smell which led to her. It was an area known to David as it was under a mile from where he worked as a volunteer on the Lavender Line Railway. He had not buried the body, he just left it in brambles. And unfortunately, with the passage of time and decomposition, it was not possible to establish the cause of death. Diane's brother commented, This is a deeply distressing time for the family. News in many ways we've been expecting, and yet of course are wholly unprepared for. That we will never see Diane again is devastating to us all. We can only hope that the police investigation will eventually help us make sense of this tragedy. No words can truly do Diane justice. However, we would like to take this opportunity to try. She lived a full, rich life, loved and adored by all that knew her. She was a kind, the kindest, loving, thoughtful and deeply caring person. Those that knew and loved her, and there were many, are today mourning a woman of rare, deep character. She'll be missed not just by her family and many friends, 
but also countless colleagues in the film and TV industry. She was much loved, that is very clear. And since the announcement, we continue to receive a constant stream of calls from disbelieving people, all of whom are struggling to come to terms with the news. Certainly we are too, and her loss to us is disbelieving. But by now, detectives were very clear what they thought had happened. Two days before David claimed that Diane had disappeared, Diane had opened an itemised phone bill. Although in the past she tried to ignore reports of David's many affairs, on this occasion she couldn't resist opening the letter and there were many numbers that had been repeatedly dialed. She called them. One was a gay chat line, which he regularly called, and another put her through to the voicemail of one of his many lovers. Although it cannot be said with certainty what happened next, detectives believe that Diane confronted David with the details of what she had found, and facing his whole world crumbling around him, he killed his wife and dumped her body nearby. He kept Diane's mobile and sent messages to her friends to make it appear she was alive, but he didn't sign off the messages to her friends in her usual way which aroused suspicion. And knowing that Diane was already dead, he left another message on her mobile phone which said, I'm trying to tune into you. You seem to be in not a good place. I'm at home, our home, wishing you were here with me now. Then in the days following her disappearance, he was captured on CCTV, horning Diane's jewellery, which had great sentimental value, for under £100. I think it's fair to say he wasn't a true crime podcast fan, with his lack of understanding of the importance of CCTV. Police found more bloodstained jewellery hidden in the home they shared, although Diane's friend said she never was without it, and she never normally took that jewellery off. Facing the jury at Lewis Crown Court, David denied murder and kept to the story of Diane starting her new life in Spain. Philip Katz, for the prosecution, told jurors very succinctly why the Crown believed he was guilty of murder. If the defendant realised he was going to be exposed as a liar, a charlatan and a hypocrite with debts up to his nose, this would have been the clearest possible motive to kill Diane. She had to say only two words to him to bring his whole false life down around him in ruins. Those two words were get out. The court heard how David had many, many affairs. Several women told the court how they'd been seduced by him. He told them all lies about his relationship with Diane, which usually centred on how they were getting divorced, how she was a drunk, how she was mentally unstable. In court, it was clear that there was something about him that women found deeply attractive. Was it because in his job as a spiritualist minister, he was often meeting vulnerable people? After all, divorce and relationship problems were the bulk of his workload. And so this made his charm and his offer of hope more compelling. Or is that too simple an explanation? But whatever the reason, he certainly had something. Take the case of the opera singer, who told the court that she lent him more than £21,000 after he lied to her that he was suffering from prostate cancer. He was in fact fine, in perfectly good health. And although he didn't pay her back, and she knew he had lied to her about his wife and his health, she still called him an extraordinary man. 
and it seemed he lied in other areas too to gain sympathy or some form of advantage. He'd even claimed his estranged son, Adam, was gravely ill, and he'd not been admitted to hospital since he was a child. One man who volunteered with him on the lavender line said of him, he had his harem, if you like. Well-dressed women he met through being a spiritualist minister. The court also heard a bit of their life together. One neighbour who met the couple at a party said, Diane was just really lovely, incredibly gentle, whereas he was boorish and dominated the conversation. I thought it was a shame because she was so lovely. And some of the women who had affairs with David and had told Diane said that she wouldn't believe this of her husband. One said, I couldn't believe an educated woman like her was with a man like that. I actually said to Diane, I'm having an affair with your husband. And I remember her saying, you're jealous. Another time when Diane was told that David was having an affair with the landlady of the local boozer, she told the woman's husband, we're very happy with soulmates. Her mum, Joan, explained the relationship by saying that Diane was the loyal wife that went along with whatever her husband said. And so after a trial lasting more than a month, the jury returned their verdict after deliberating for 17 hours. Guilty. Sentencing him to life in prison, the judge said, You have been convicted of the murder of your wife Diane. The evidence shows she loved you, but you deceived her over many years. He said he had told the most preposterous lies to this jury and this court. You told lie after lie to the police, making Diane out to be promiscuous, deceitful, manipulative and scheming. You put her family through the agonies of not knowing if she was alive or dead, until ultimately their worst fears were realised. Whether it was a sudden loss of temper or in a controlled rage, you killed her, most probably by strangling her, although it's clear from the evidence that blood was spilt. You then dispose of the body, either on that night or on the 23rd of January, knowing it was unlikely it would be seen for a long time or ever. After the verdict, Russell, her brother, said, Today's verdict does two very important things. It wipes out once and for all the many lies that have been said about Diane, and it removes the dangerous, predatory charlatan from society. Diane was a sweet, kind, thoughtful and loving woman. She had nothing to deserve her fate. He repaid her unswerving love, loyalty and trust as his wife with lies, deception, cruel opportunism and deceit. Ultimately, he killed her to prevent all of this being discovered and to save himself. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Yet another story on this podcast of someone who is able to lie, lie, and then lie some more. And a loyal, loving spouse who refused to believe exactly who and what he was, despite all the evidence to the contrary. And contrast that with the nasty and unpleasant lies he told to his mistresses about his wife, who showed him nothing but love and the loyalty that she promised in her marriage vows. And yet he is alive and eligible for parole shortly, whereas Diane must have suffered a terrifying death. You can just imagine with horror those moments after she confronted him and he attacked her 
At what point did she realise that this man she'd been married to for over 20 years was actually capable of murdering her? As always, our final thoughts with Diane's family and friends, who once more had someone they loved taken from them way too early, along with all those good times and memories that they should have been able to make together. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head over to the Facebook group, just search UK True Crime, and you will find over 83,000 of us ready to chat 24-7, 365 days a year. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. Not only are there over 50 bonus episodes, the next one due this week, but there's a ton of other exclusive content and competitions, including your chance to win the brand new Case File game. You can join Patreon for as little as £1 a month and cancel at any time. Just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. And please, if you haven't done so yet, join me for my next live show in Manchester on the 4th of October. Tickets are now on sale. Get the link from the show notes on any of my social channels. Okay, so that's all for me for another week. I'll speak to you again on Tuesday for another story from the UK's 37th most popular true crime host. So until we speak next week, please do take it easy, despite (laughs) despite all the others. Stay classy. Cheerio for now. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.